Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie and today I have with me my friend and colleague, Dr. Kirsten Mills. Hello, Kirsten. Hello. Thanks for having me again. No worries. It is always a pleasure to have you here in our makeshift studio. <laughs> um, so I've brought Kirsten into our makeshift studio to talk about a show that we both enjoy watching inordinately <laughs> and that is the wonderful Netflix's Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. <laughs> um Need Kirsten. Theme song to run. <laughs> I know we do need our theme song to run. Kirsten is a specialist in gothic fiction, hence her love of Sabrina. I have no such excuse. I just love anything witchy. Um, so yes. So Kirsten, um, what about Sabrina does it for you? Um, oh, what doesn't? <laughs> it's such a big, big topic. Um, I was a huge fan of, um, a bit, I'm going to say the original, but obviously it's not the original, the 90s yeah. adaptation of the comics, and there were TV adaptations before that, but I think the 90s show starring Melissa Joan Hart is the iconic one that most people are familiar with. I was also a teenager in the 90s, and I remember yes. the show very well, <laughs> yes. very fondly. Yes. Um, so that was, um, along with Buffy, which mm -hmm. I know you're also a huge fan of, mm -hmm. um, huge, like really formative part of my 90s girlhood I think yes. um, along along with a lot of girls and I think an early introduction into feminism mm. for a lot of girls as well um, so I think coming out of that with that nostalgic element um, but also I don't think it ever lost its cool witches mm. uh, I've just ever since I was a kid I've been really interested in witches um, supernatural and that sort of thing which I think is why I ended up studying the gothic mm -hmm. um, so it just plays into everything I love Mm. in every way <laughs> yeah I agree and I agree that it's an it's a nice kind of um way of being introduced to feminism you mm. know that idea of like the strong girl who can save the day yeah who is surrounded by a lot of women who are equally as sort of talented and yeah savvy. the sisterhood the coven yes I it's loved huge. it yeah. yeah and I mean I do miss sassy sassy Salem sassy Salem <laughs> I look I will say, I do, I love a good sassy Salem. There are so many quotes that are so appropriate for so many moments <laughs> in life that I've learnt from Salem. Um, but I have to say, I love how they've done Salem in Chilling Adventures. Yeah. He's um, now silent. No more quotes. He's silent. Yes. Except when he speaks in the beginning when he's in his goblin form. Yes, that's true. So they've changed the mythology there. Now, this obviously, coming out of the comics, um, Salem's character has changed so many times. Every time it's adapted into its new form, it goes from comics to TV to comics to TV to comics mm. to TV, and they take a little bit of the story each time and adapt it, um, you know, in each incarnation it's slightly different. So he was originally a ginger cat mm. that didn't speak. Um, and then after the popularity of the TV show, they brought that mythology into the comics again. Right. Uh, so he became a black cat who used to be a witch who tried to take over the world, <laughs> got cursed his you know, yeah. familiar um, form. So um, I really like that they've adapted it yet again. And he's now um, a goblin mm. that has elected to come and serve well, work with Sabrina. Sabrina yeah. but, and that's the whole point. And I think that's the earliest point at which you see Sabrina's feisty spirit and her belief in equality and her desire to forge a new path mm. um, away from the expectations of everyone around her. So this sets us up for what the show's going to do with feminism um, mm -hmm. and lots of different other social issues. But I love that it's through Salem that we first see that. Mm. So um, for anyone who, who can't remember that, um, so we 
we have this we, we go through most of the first episode without Salem and I think most fans of the 90s show are waiting to see Salem yeah. they really want to see Salem and I did um, and so Sabrina's off she said you have to her auntie say to her you have to pick a familiar in order to go through your dark baptism you know on your 16th birthday and they hand her a catalogue of approved familiars um, that the Church of Night has approved. And she says, but I don't want to do that. Um, I'm going to use a summoning spell. So she goes out into the woods and she basically um, puts it out there that she wants an equal. Mm. Um, and so her little spell says that, um, you know, she doesn't want, uh, it won't be a master slave or master servant situation. It'll be familiar to familiar, mm. equal to equal. And I love that. So when we eventually do see Salem arrive in his, terrifying goblin form and Sabrina herself is a bit um, uh, worried yeah. about what he might be doing in her bedroom yeah. <laughs> with his long fingers creeping around the edge of the mirror um, and he says I heard you calling in the woods and I came mm. and I love that and then he, he morphs into the familiar black cat form and she goes oh what a cute kitty and picks him up and then we have our beloved Salem figure but what I love about that is that it shows a their relationship of equality but also that level of um, loyalty and protection that's mm. there from the get-go. Um, so just in that, I heard you calling in the woods and I came. I thought it was such a beautifully simplistic way to show that he's going to be there for her. And he he's, is. And yeah. he is. And, yeah. and we see that um, very shortly after when, um, you know, she's running through a maze chased by a, a possessed scarecrow figure with a horrib horribly sort of haunting skull for a head. And it's trying to get her and um, Salem hears her screaming and he comes... Mm. from miles away and he saves it and it's just so beautiful um so i think i i love what they I really love what they've done with salem in this yeah adaptation and i think it's emblematic of the fact that you know i loved the 90s television show as we've said but that was very light absolutely very light and very bubbly and yeah. there was no real menace at all in it it was mm. it was a comedy really yeah um this is much darker there is you know the devil's wandering about <laughs> there are um there are some gross parts. There yeah. are some demons and murders and so forth. Mm. Why do you think they've done that? Like, what is it about now? Or do you think it loses anything or gains anything by making it a bit darker, in your opinion? Um, so I really love the way that they've taken what was um, the, the horror elements that were existing. So the, the original um, comics use a lot of um, like hammer horror and classic sort of yeah. B-side horror movie characters, um, but they use them in a wholesome and a really funny way. And um, the 90s TV show kind of gets rid of a lot of those characters and just keeps the comedy. Yeah. Um, so it gets even more light and bubbly. Mm. Um, and then what I love is that um, Roberto Aguera Sacasa's original um comic book adaptation so obviously chilling adventures is based on his yes. comic mm. the two can be read um together i think um so what i love about them is that they really return to the the roots of of um you know that kind of comic book and film horror yeah um, it's really classic is, horror isn't it it yeah. really is and yeah. i mean this is even in the very opening scene of Sabrina. the first moment we ever see her in the show she's gleefully eating popcorn watching um, night of the living dead yeah. the classic zombie movie in black and white and everyone jumps out of fright and she's there looking really yeah. gleeful like Ooh. Ooh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and so i really like that and so uh, i think um that, so there's an element, there's a genre element there that's really fun. Yeah. And a, again, that's a bit of nostalgia. It kind of returns us to something we're all quite familiar with. 
um, but brings it up into the 21st century. And it's still fun. It still retains that fun. And it, it, it knows that horror films are fun. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, horror films are gory. They can be jump. They give you the jump scares. But they're also meant to be entertaining. That was the whole point. Mm. Um, it's it's changed. The, the way horror movies are made now has changed a lot, obviously. Mm. Um, they're less gruesome, I think. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and they were, they were, a lot of them, the way um, the genre evolved was because of the kinds of audiences it would attract, which were largely this new class of teenager that emerged, um, the, the first sort of affluent teenager emerged in like yeah. the 50s. They had money to spend, they had time to spend because the parents were home with their first TV sets. Yeah. <laughs> and so the kids would go out to the movies and they would sit up the back and they would make out with their girlfriend or their boyfriend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they wanted these jump scares and this fun. It, it was meant to be fun for that reason. It was a social occasion. Yeah. Yeah. And like the way that what I find interesting is it's so clearly looking to that kind of classic horror time frame, I suppose. Um, in its styling, like mm. I know it's set in the present, and occasionally they'll use things like smartphones, but there's not really much emphasis on that. Absolutely, and the way they're costumed is modern, but it's also got a '60s edge to it. Definitely, and so yeah. it almost looks like they could come out of any time. Definitely, even yeah. the way they like hang out at the, the milk bar. Absolutely, and mm. I mean Riverdale has this to a certain extent too. Yeah. obviously Riverdale's a companion sort of show to this. Um, and I think it's it's a nod to the original comics, obviously. It's a nod to that um, era of the film, of the mm. horror film being the sort of blockbusters on, on screen. Um, and it's also because the um, the Chilling Adventures comic books are actually set in the 60s. Mm. So we've kind of got this amorphous kind of meshing together of all these different time periods, which kind of sets Greendale as a town outside time almost. Mm. You know, in the opening line, in fact, the very first line, Sabrina says, the voiceover as she's introduced, says something like, um, in, a, in the town of Greendale where it always feels like Halloween. Yeah, and you it know? always is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And she, you know, she quite literally lives in, um, you know, the old haunted sort of manor house and they've got... It's a funeral home. Yeah, yeah, it's a funeral home. Um, and they've got the pumpkins on the steps and everything. They've got the haunted woods just down the, on the doorstep. So there's just so much going on. Yeah. It also owes, to me, it owes a lot to Buffy. It's, it, it has yes. the same kind of vibe. You know, we've talked about Buffy before and how much we, you know, how formative <laughs> that was growing up. But it seems to have that kind of, um, that juxtaposition too. And, I mean, it would, this is obviously there in the comics as well, of the, the small blonde girl yeah. who has all of this power and who might be chosen mm. for something. Um, but we're not quite sure what and it's got that kind of you know overarching story that sits on the top of the season but also has you know episodic stories did you find yourself thinking of Buffy too when you watched it yeah a lot mm. I think it's hard I think that's a um it, a Buffy would have obviously been a very uh, heavy influence yeah I think on the development it can't not be Buffy mm. was so formative mm. um you know and around the same time as the 90s adaptation of mm. Sabrina so, um, yeah, there is a lot going on, um, especially that – so Buffy treads this line between embracing her fate um, that's handed to her and rebelling against it, and I think we see that amped up mm. times 10 in Sabrina, mm. um, especially – and I think this is for a, a 21st century version of feminism. Yeah. So she's from the get-go asking questions and saying, no, I don't think so. Yeah. So we see that by episode two. She's rejected the path that they – want her to take mm. um whereas um Bucky sort of rebels against it for a, a little bit but she um 
has to develop that over seven seasons to get to the end to mm-hmm. really challenge that patriarchal power. Yeah. But we see that that's dime for a dozen in the um in every second of yeah. Sabrina. Yeah, that's, that's really right. Much the crux of the show is this um twenty first century version of young feminism. Yeah. She never you know, Buffy takes, as you say, quite a long time to kind of question the especially like the Watchers Council. It's exactly. a very patriarchal institution yeah. full of men. But straight away we know that Sabrina doesn't quite accept the rules of the coven, which Absolutely. is interesting because, like, for me this show's trying to do a lot of things and it, it, mm. it succeeds in a lot of them but also I think stumbles in others because it's it's very invested in this idea of 21st century kind of um, almost like a power feminism. Yeah. But the coven is, is ruled by a man. Yeah. And he's very problematic and the women are subservient to him in, in many ways. But the show is also full of other strong women as well. You know, we've got Madame Satan and, and, and Zelda. Yeah. Um, who are, fan- I mean, I'm obsessed with <laughs> Zelda Spellman. I wish to be her um, yeah. in every respect, really. Um, yeah. But I don't know. What do you ha- how do you think that women are, are represented in the show? And do you see any potential kind of problems? Um, look, I think... In trying to do so much, it's inevitably going to run into certain problems. Mm. Um, a lot of those could, I, I think, some of the most obvious are to do with intersectionality. You know, it's still Sabrina's mm. still a white, blonde-haired woman mm. coming to the rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, that's problematic in a way, although they do include Roz, um, her best friend, and give her her own powers that develop, mm. um, you know, through the, the gift of sight, things like that. Um, I like the way they represent the church initially. Mm. Um, What I think they do really nicely is show the way that even with supernatural powers, um, an individual can be coerced by an institution. Mm. Um, And it obviously the Church of Night very closely um, inverts and thereby parallels the Catholic Church system. Um, So we get these doctrines and these traditions and these rules that have been steeped in centuries of use and therefore seem impossible to topple. Mm. No one's questioned them. You just don't do it. It's not the way. Um, and we know what's, what that's like. Mm. Um, so I think representing the magic world in that way is really interesting because it then allows Sabrina to question why that is. And yeah. she does, as we were saying, from the get-go. She says, you know, if I sign my name in the book in the be- the, the book of beast, as she has to do, you know, to sign over into the Dark Lord's religion, uh, is she signing away her soul? Does she have to serve him? Why would she want to do that? Why would she want yeah. to give up her freedom? Yeah, what's it going to give? Exactly. Her? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the answer to that that they say is, yes, you give up your freedom, but you're gaining power in return. And she says, I want both. Yeah. And uh, I think it's Prudence says to her in one scene, um, well the thought of a woman or you having both power and freedom terrifies the Dark Lord. And Sabrina mm. says, why? And she says, well, he's a man, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's the kind of the, um, in a nutshell, what the show is really about. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. It's a lovely summation. Yeah. It is. Um, and so, but what happens, as as we see, I, I hope everyone listening has reached um, the, the current, you know. Yeah. Spoiler warning to, here Spoiler now. warning. Yeah. Um, the Church of Night is brought down by Sabrina questioning these sort of things. It's not worldwide. It's just the local sort of chapter, the local church in Greendale. But she does topple it. And um, Zelda becomes high priestess. Even um, Satan himself is toppled. He's trapped. 
and Lilith becomes Queen of Hell. Mm. So we have these two um, sort of matriarchal figures that we've mentioned before as being really cool, but mm. ambiguous. They tread this line between good and evil. Oh, yeah, for sure. And coming from both sides, and they're really ambiguous, but they both sort of ascend to positions of power through um, Sabrina's destabilising of the whole system, questioning absolutely everything. Mm. So in that way, I think um, it, it's really nice. Like, they take, they do start in a patriarchal formulation but mm. they do they do it so that they can then undermine it and explore what happens when you start questioning a system like that yeah and it's funny um i think it does a really good job of showing that initially if you, you go back to like the the history of the witches and the coven um that it was a very matriarchal yes. system that yeah. it was dominated by women it was women who you know they're the original what is it the original 13 mm. um were, were women and then they look they constantly look back to like famous witches of the past, so yes. to speak. Um, and that that's always kind of there. But then you get that sense that, that men, or you get, it's never explicitly said how men sort of came to take over. But, um, you know, as, as often happens, um, men don't like women having power and have moved in and, and appropriated that power in certain yeah. ways. Um, so it does a really good job of, of showing how even this kind of matriarchal world has been infiltrated yeah. and taken over and the women taking the power back and flipping the script yeah which exactly. i love yeah. yeah by being nasty women by yeah. being witches and i think herein lies um one of the elements of the witch as a figure throughout culture that makes it so perennial mm. it, um, the witch has never really gone out of favor and it keeps cropping up every time there are feminist uprisings mm. um so the suffragettes i think were the, some of the earliest to reclaim the word witch mm. you know it used to be a slur obviously it's still used that way we hear it leveled at um, people like Hillary Clinton, Clinton yeah, or absolutely. for us, Julia Gillard, yeah. um, ditch the witch, you yeah. know, phrases like that coming out of her male opponent's mouths, mm. which is abhorrent. Yeah. But then the witch is this kind of figure and has been for centuries this kind of figure that stands both for the oppressed woman, the persecuted woman, mm. but yet also the rebellious woman, mm. the woman with power who refuses to be silenced or who uses her knowledge. Yeah. Um, so I think it's got this kind of double-edged sword that makes it just so appropriate for um, uprisings, but for women of all different kinds. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's funny. Um, the I don't know if you know of the writer Lindy West. She's an American um, feminist writer, and she's coming out with a book called The Witches. The Witches Are Coming, and it came from a Twitter argument where somebody called her a witch on Twitter, and she said, yes, I'm a witch, I'm coming, and I'm going to hunt you down. Um, and yeah. has since read a book, has since written a book about you know, women's speaking back to power, yeah. using that idea of the witch. So it's, mm. it's, it's deeply ingrained there. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I love that storyline in season two where um, Zelda is put under a spell. Yes. Um, she becomes a Stepford wife. And she becomes a Stepford yeah. wife. And it's so awful. Like it's, yeah, it's eerie. It's eerie yeah. and she's so vacant. And what she's doing there is being the kind of woman that, you know, patriarchal society says that she should be, you know. Yeah. Do you want more tea? Do you want dinner? Do you, you know, I'm, I'm, I look perfect. I've got the, you know, Stepford wife hairdo and the yeah. clothes, you know, 50s kind of. Um, A-line skirts and all of this mm -hmm. um, and it's so awful yeah. <laughs> and you're just begging for her to get her, <laughs> her kind of personality back and it's it's this perfect kind of send up for mm -hmm. what society says 
women should be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, it's important that that happened to Zelda as well, because obviously Hilda already embodies kind of this matriarchal softness, mm. um, which is, is a hilarious juxtaposition to her, you know, handling of, of spell ingredients and dead bodies. And yeah. <laughs> they're talking about praise Satan and, you know, the Dark Lord and things like that. I do um, love whenever they try and, like, say, oh, for God's sake, it'll always be, like, yeah. over, over, de- over the devil's sake or for, yes. you know, Satan's sake, you yeah. know. <laughs> they, and that's where a lot of the humour lies in yeah. those inversions, um, in us identifying them, I yeah. think. Um, and in just hearing these women say things like that. <laughs> so yeah. when, when um, Zelda hears about a, a young boy being murdered and their bo- his body having to come to their mortuary, she says, well, praise Satan, yeah. because it's, it's fortuitous timing because they needed blood for Sabrina's yeah. you know, dark baptism. It's utterly horrible, <laughs> but it's talked about in such a domestic setting, in such a practical way, yeah. that it becomes funny. Yeah. And, I mean, they're really, like, what I like about the way the coven is, is kind of, conceptualized is that they're kind of more honest about a lot of things like they're they're more in touch with death they're yeah. which is you know a part of life that western culture doesn't really like to talk about very yeah. much um they're more in touch with sexuality absolutely they're they're much less puritanical they're much less um, moralistic they're much less um i suppose controlling yeah um you know and and a lot of that is played for laughs and there's this sort of over-the-top sexuality of some of the witches but Mm. at the same time they're much more progressive politically progressive absolutely yeah you know at the same time as being still embroiled within this very heavily traditional patriarchal yeah hierarchy yeah um i find that really interesting as well and obviously the um the opposition to that puritanical idea of um, of, of a way of life, really, um, mm. including everything, morality, sexuality, everything, mm. um, is very deliberate because obviously the Salem witch trials were dealing with this Puritan attitude mm. that persecuted the witches in the first place. Mm. And women in the first place is, is more to the point because it was women that were being persecuted for allegedly being witches, which mm. we could read as code for being powerful or knowledgeable or intelligent. Mm. Or pissed off. Or, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, so I find that really interesting. And, yeah, it is really – it's it's camp. It's over the top. It's so much fun when mm. they have these wonderful um, – you know, festivals, the Bacchanalian sort of, you know, yeah. running through the woods, group orgies. Yeah, you know, like, you know, <laughs> nice, nice, black nightgowns yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And the way Zelda talks about it, I find so wonderful because, you know, this is an auntie talking to her young 16-year-old mm. niece and, and Sabrina's saying, I'm not sure if I'm ready for it. And she's saying... But it's wonderful, you know, every woman should should have this experience. It's sensual, you know. Yeah. She's talking about it in such an empowering way. Yeah. Um, as opposed to saying exactly. Yeah. As opposed to saying, you know, don't do it. Yeah. You, you should wait. You yeah. know. And you I, should I never have any sexual desires because that's bad and wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So I do love that celebration of sensuality as a human right, you know, mm. as something that women and men can both enjoy. Yeah, and there's no kind of like, you know, the men have desires and women you know, just act, you know, yes. as, a, as a, they're just a kind of object. Yeah. Um, women and men have the same kinds of desires yeah. and, you know, they're not, not, they're not shamed for it. And yes, they, there is a kind of problematic relationship that they have with the Dark Lord in that apparently he can just turn up and have sex with you at any time, yeah. um, which is highly strange, um, <laughs> especially since he's a goat. Um, but, you know, we do see his goat feet and we do wonder we, how far up that goes. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> 
Although I did laugh when they went back and they they talk about the biblical story in the last in the last episode of season yeah. two, we we see um, Satan and and um, Lilith, Lilith in the yeah. garden being watching um, Adam and Eve being expelled from the Garden of Eden and Satan is very very clean cut and very like teen icon (laughs) you know he's got like really sharp cheekbones and he's got a wax chest I'm like I don't think Satan has no chest hair yeah (laughs) well yes it's very teen show in some ways it is yeah in some ways I mean this is you can see the parallels and they do the same thing with um with Riverdale like for anyone that watches that, yeah. with the figure of um, Edgar Evernever, you know, he's this sort of leader of a cult type thing and they're actually trafficking in body parts. It's zombie-ish <laughs> type thing. It's, it's all crazy and wonderful. Um, but he's this sort of chiseled, you know, he, he he's the same actor um, that played the teen heartthrob in One Tree Hill. Yeah. You know, so it's mm. this, and I think that's deliberate. So it's this, um, let's bring, you know, these hot men yeah <laughs> and and play with this like let's put them in positions that are they're evil but this whole it's blurring all these lines it's ambiguous it's fun you know and and that just reminds me too that i love the fact that zelda and lilith are both older yes i mean they're not old women but but they're they're you know mature women they're yeah. not um they're not teenagers themselves they're not you know um they don't cover up the fact that they're mature ladies. They're in their 40s and 50s, right? And yet they're still sexual. Mm. They're still powerful. They're not a joke. And even, you know, Hilda, as you said, she's much more maternal, but at the same time she isn't. Exactly. And we see her commit some interesting acts (laughs) as as the series goes on and, you know, problematic acts, I suppose. Um, And it's celebrated. And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, how often do you see mature middle-aged women yeah. having fun being sexy being powerful Absolutely. and not being like you know what's this old lady doing mm. you know when as soon as um you know because the what happens with Lilith is she comes and takes over she kills their teacher and takes yeah. over her body um and she starts you know dressing incredibly sexually you know <laughs> um you know in the tight dresses mm. and um you know big hair and all of this she's not the little mousy teacher that she was before yeah um and nobody says anything about it yeah I, it's I just love that. Yeah. yeah i i particularly love those two characters and i think they speak so well to each other yeah in fact there's i think there are routine sort of fan calls for them to get together yeah, of course there are <laughs> um which you know i think just speaks to the fact that they do parallel each other so well as strong yeah characters who um don't need to pigeonhole themselves as either solely good or solely bad. And they're the um, two power figures at the end. You exactly. Know, at, well, at, of the series as, as it is at the as moment. It is, yeah. yeah. You know, one is Queen of Hell and one is Queen of the Cover now. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, so that's, I, I really like that. I love them both as characters. I love Zelda. She's so brutally um just honest honest but and really caring too really that's what i love as well so she's very maternal she is Mm. you you can see so this what i love about uh, zelda particularly you can see her dedication to um the coven to tradition Mm. to the way things are done and she's the one that's always saying to sabrina there's there's no question you're going to do it that's it Mm. end of argument Mm. but it's not the end because the second uh, family comes mm. in and you see the first glimmer of doubt um, in Zelda when Sabrina turns around after she's run away from her baptism mm. and says, I saw my mum and dad there and they told me to run. And you can see the look in Zelda's face and she starts to think, oh, okay, I was, she was about to say, well, that's 
not on. You should go back. You know, we need to fix this. But she thinks, oh, hang on. You know, so she's got this family loyalty. Mm. And I think that comes, you see this proved over and over again, that that always comes above everything. Yeah, and it it goes to, you know, um, that idea that the powerful woman doesn't have to be non-maternal. Exactly. You know, and yeah. the power, like those two things aren't separate mm-hmm. because the way that women are represented usually is, a, you know, you're a, a powerful career woman and you have no family and you don't, you yeah. know, your half of your life is missing. Um, or you are the domestic woman and you don't have any power and you're just sort yeah. of cooking all day. Mm-hmm. Um, she manages to combine both extremely powerful in her own right. Yeah. Um, as well as really caring and, and really, um, as you say, fiercely loyal and protective of her family. Absolutely. Anytime her family is threatened, she goes into full lockdown and then she'll start to break the rules mm. when her family is threatened. Definitely. Um, and I love that they let those two things sit yeah. with her and they're not intention. They're mm. just parts of her because she can be just of those things. Can, exactly. It's not yeah. questions so that they have that freedom. I love, um, on that note, I love that she's a midwife. Yes. Um, so we have this extra Very element feminine. of being maternal. And then yeah. Letitia, the baby, comes along. She steals Faustus's baby, baby. daughter yeah. um, because he's going to get rid of her. Um, so she steals her to save her. And you see this extra element of mm. the maternal with her. Yeah. And I think to a certain extent this again comes out of the history of the witch as a figure mm. um, because, you know, in certain um, tr- approaches to the witch, she goes through three phases of life, so the, the maiden, the mother, and the crone. And so that's meant to represent the three different stages that a woman will go through throughout her lifetime. So um, she's very much in that middle stage, that mother stage. Mm. But again, I, I love that the way I love that she's a midwife. Um, I love that she's maternal with Sabrina, and that will always come first. But as we were saying, she that doesn't hold her back in any way. She's not mm. socially limited because of that. She's one of the most powerful women mm. in the whole coven. Yeah, um, you know, with her access to. Um, Father Blackwood, and then eventually rising to become High Priestess herself. And she's not dowdy. She's not. Yeah. Um, she's not put upon. You know, she's sitting there looking fabulous with her, yeah. you know, cigarette um, <laughs> yes. holder and you know the the glasses. And she's got this kind of wonderful affect of you know nonchalance. But she's again, mm. she's maternal and caring. And and the midwife is such a kind of feminized figure. Mm. And you know that idea of like childbirth being the women's arena that men have no business being in really mm. um as it you know was throughout history um i think it's such an interesting portrayal and randa Otto tears that role up oh, she is fantastic wonderful. yeah i love that scene where she's helping them through the um the play and somebody <laughs> says um well you're the most eloquent person or the um you have the best enunciation she's like yes quite true (laughs) yes you are (laughs) I love that they did that because like that is a hallmark of her character as well is the way she speaks and I love that they call attention to that they have this little in jokes later on in the series the one thing we haven't really talked about it strikes me is the high school element Mm. and Sabrina's little posse of of, um, high school friends yeah and I wondered if that gets lost a bit because I mean, I love that kind of juxtaposition that we had in Buffy of, like, high school versus, you know, demonic forces of darkness because those <laughs> yeah. two things, you know, the light and shadow are the two is where the tension is. You know, yeah. those two things could not possibly be more separate going to, you know, maths class versus, you know, having a meeting with actual Satan. Absolutely, know? yeah. Um, I wonder if those, if the, the high school story kind of gets lost a bit in Sabrina as it goes on. She sort of checks out of yeah. high school a bit. And we I don't I said, see her doing homework. We don't yeah. see her sitting in maths class, for example, yeah. looking bored um, the way we do in Buffy. I think, look, that's, that's one of the central um, sources of 
of how Buffy worked was that juxtaposition between the daylight and the night. Like, so Buffy's daytime as a student and her secret identity, in a way. Whereas Sabrina's identity isn't secret for long. Her friends do find out. And then they get swept up in the world. So she's um, using her magic to influence the mortal world. Her mortal friends are using their gifts to help out in the magic world. But again, it that's quite similar blurs. to Buffy too because, you know, Willow yeah. and stuff become quite powerful in their own right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Will- Willow adds another 90s witch, witch yeah. figure. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, I think um, we just don't... We don't see so so Buffy for a long time um, has to hide her identity even from her mother. Mm. Um, so there is this this idea that if you're a sixteen year old girl and you have this secret you know superhero yeah. identity, what do you do? Whereas with um, Sabrina, I think they just kind of let a lot of the the mortal elements of high school just slip away. Mm. We do see in the beginning. Um, then starting to question the curriculum and the high school obviously is um, much like the church of night it's another version of a patriarchal hierarchy with a mm-hmm. male principal at the top um Ms. wardwell slash lilith um identifies a puritanical masculinity she calls it um in the, the football team the boys football team that's persecuting susie mm-hmm. um who later becomes theo mm-hmm. so um and and you know everyone they, they'll close ranks as harvey observes the principal lets it slide, doesn't call out any of the sexual harassment or assault that their boys are perpetuating. And so I think, um, you know, much like the Church of Night, the, the mortal school is just another way that the patriarchy is everywhere. She's and fighting Sabrina that battle to navigate that. Exactly. Yeah, she's fighting it at school and she's fighting it in the coven. Exactly. And, and those parallels quite overt. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it also provides an in for Lilith slash Miss Wardwell to get close to her um, and to try and help her use her magic to convince her to eventually join the path of night um, in service of the Dark Lord. So as much as we're saying that Lilith is a powerful female figure, she's ultimately serving the Dark Lord. Mm. She says things like, I'm not worthy of your love. And so she washes his feet. She does. And I find that so interesting because, again, these characters are complex. Mm. So Lilith can be incredibly powerful, incredibly feminist, but still have these um, this complex psychology that where she's in love with yeah Lucifer, Satan, and, and he's doesn't like feel worthy of him. Yeah, and he's and he's you know pretty much dropped her. Yeah, you know that she's has this like woman. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah she's had this like relationship with him that formed yeah. as soon as you know she splits up with Adam in the garden, and and he's sort of just used her as convenient but when Sabrina represents something more powerful potentially um he just sort of gets rid of her yeah I know she and so he's held over her head this constant promise of of one day she'll reign by his side and so that's why she serves him and then I think eventually when you know it it becomes clear that he wants Sabrina to reign by his side instead that's when she starts going AWOL and doing things a bit more for herself yeah which uh, invariably helps Sabrina out, so she becomes a bit more of an actual ally. Yeah, and so she's surrounded by these these strong yeah. female allies. Now, I have to ask you a very important, very interesting, and very academic question: <laughs> Harvey or Nick? Oh, oh. <laughs> do you know? So, uh, I think I'm going to come down on the side of Nick. Yes, me too. What is your reason? <laughs> I was about to ask you that. Um, I think they have some really fun chemistry. Mm. Um, there's a spark there. There's a fun element. The fact that he understands the witch side of things really helps. 
Um, I actually thought, and I'm wondering if they're going to make more of this in coming seasons, but I thought they were going to do more with the fact that Harvey descends from witch hunters. Yes. Now, I thought, like, because yes. that's quite a classic, you know, we see this a lot in vampire well, stories. Well, it's like Buffy and Angel. Vampire and the Slayer. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. exactly. Mm. Um, so, I and the same thing with, um, you know, Teen Wolf, which is another supernatural teen show. The uh, the were- young werewolf falls in love with the daughter of the werewolf hunters. Mm. And I thought this was going to be a direct parallel, but they kind of just dropped it. Yeah. Um, so, I'm interested to see if they pick it up. But nevertheless, I love the way they open with Harvey and Sabrina already being together. Mm. Um, that's a nice way. That. We don't yeah. have to go through the motions of hoping they will get together. Mm. And it does provide a bit more of a mature backdrop um, to explore what happens after that point. So, mm. you know, the dissolution of their relationship, but their lingering friendship and care for each other, and then the introduction of Nick. And and the dissolution of their relationship is precisely because Sabrina's becoming more interested in the church. Yeah. And then, you know, she does sign her name in, in um, the Book of the Beast and then, you know, she her hair goes white blonde right, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and she she is increasingly contained within or not contained within, but she's increasingly represented as part of the coven rather than, you know, mm. splitting her time between high school versus um versus the coven. So as she's moving out of the high school kind of um context it makes more sense for her to sort of be with with nick although he he seems to be have his own kind of shady problems but yeah, yeah. it's interesting like i mean his na- his name his name is, is the, devil. the devil yeah yeah, yeah. um so that's it'll be interesting to see what they do with that but again this whole show is based on ambiguity around the line between good and evil yes um, and there is no line yeah, yeah exactly um so uh, you know we, we can't read read too much into what people are called well, yeah, well, quite. And, I mean, remember that episode too where the um, the witch hunters are represented as, mm. you know, they're inflamed with, like, religious fervour and yeah. they're represented poorly because they want to kill witches. Exactly. Innocent witches. Yeah. Innocent in our sense. Um, you know, they haven't done anything wrong. Mm. They're just – it's religious persecution really. Yeah. Um, and they see themselves as on the side of good. But they're not on the side of good because all they want to do is, you know, burn people alive. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And it's also, again, like everything, it's done through um, that gender element. So it's religious persecution, but it's it also comes down to being persecution of, of women largely. Yeah. By um, men. hyper-masculine men toting rifles, going out hunting in the forest, shooting, you know, deer, which turn out to be innocent mm. goblins or whatever. So there is, a, you know, it's a really obvious setup of um, a condemnation of that kind of mm. hypermasculine gun-toting culture. Yeah, uh, which is interesting in the American context as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that many American viewers are very outraged. <laughs> I mean, it, it does a really nice job of of doing of having those those really quite explicit parallels between the Catholic Church and and the Coven, yeah. but also breaking those down absolutely until they become almost. Um, meaningless really or or just exist as a kind of political critique of each other mm. um i want to talk about um the social media presence yes. of the show because we talked about this before mm. um, and you suggested to me that the way that the social media um, around the show is set up kind of makes us fans a bit of a coven exactly. how do they do that how do they do that so what i've noticed about this and i really like this um I don't know if they have a team behind their Twitter account or I'm if it's sure just one person. Do. One but, very busy person. Yeah, yeah, but hats off to them because I think they're doing a marvellous job. Uh, from the get-go, 
the language used on their tweets, so they'd share stills from the show mm. um, or they'd share promotional material or retweet other people, but they'd often accompany it with language um, saying like praise Satan, so they'd quote the show, um, or instead of yas queen, you know, that cultural um, you know, idiom, now it's, it's yas witches instead of, you know. So um, I think this is all language that speaks to the moment. It's very much part of um, contemporary teenage lexicon, mm. especially online, um, but it's um, playfully morphing it into their own version of witches, mm. witchcraft and praise Satan. It's tongue-in-cheek, um, but what it does is create a fandom of people who then feel like they want to be a witch, they want to be part of the coven, they want to be Sabrina's friend. Mm. And so um, everyone's, like, a lot of people will comment on posts, um, showing, saying something about how they're joining in, um, you know, saying they want to get a familiar now, <laughs> or, you know, lots of different things. Uh, I'm struggling to think of examples now. But the, the people that run the Twitter account will reply, yes, which, yeah. um, you know, and, and join in with the conversation. So it kind of does create this sense of um, everyone feeling like they are part of not a club but a coven around this you know Sabrina the Teenage Witch <laughs> yeah and I mean like I, I'm guessing that most of the fans well, not all of them but a lot of the fans are women young girls teenage girls yeah. and it, it creates that kind of sense of the sisterhood it does yeah you know the sisterhood coming together to celebrate this um, fun campy you know classic horror piece yeah you know together and wanting to you know inca- gain part of that power yeah I suppose that Sabrina really um embodies Absolutely. and embodies in the most feminine way possible like you know she is very feminine she's you know little and blonde and yeah. cute and but she has this power and I think that they're reaching out to teenage viewers and saying you know you might be feminine and small and you know you don't feel like you might have any power in the world but actually you're part of this you know yeah. power <laughs> of women kind of thing I mean that sounds very sentimental but I yeah. think that that's how those shows like worked on us I think mm. You know, like there was something empowering as to me as a teenage girl watching Buffy and seeing, you know, a, a girl with blonde hair and, you know, pretty and cute and, you know, all of the things that we tend to trivialise, mm. um, being strong and active Absolutely. and powerful, you know. Yeah. And I think, um, I think so this carries, obviously Sabrina carries on that element, but I think in some ways it departs a little from Buffy um, in that Buffy was the slayer. Yes, chosen one, the only one, the only one. You know, Although they there's do a lot anomaly that. with faith, and then eventually they undo it and let. That that's the whole point. They get yeah. to by season seven, they let all the potential slayers own yeah. their power and become slayers, and that is where it really reaches its um, empowering the audience element. Yeah. We don't have to wait seven seasons in Sabrina. We get that from day one. Sabrina is. Um, I think Sabrina's powerful because of her mind. It's not her supernatural gifts necessarily. It's because she questions her ferocity. She refuses to back down. It refuses to just accept things because that's the way they've always been done. So, um, and she also takes on like you know they they're constantly saying to her, "Well, you can't do this spell, or you can't do this until you reach this point." Yeah, and she's like, "But I'm just going to try it." She just does it anyway, and with disastrous yeah. effects sometimes. Oh yeah, she but runs she into does trouble it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> she, and, and yeah. I think that's interesting. So she's um she's powerful because she has magic, but then so does everyone else around her. Everyone yes, that is true. Yeah, and a lot of them are more advanced than her in many ways. They've been there longer, and sometimes she needs them, like especially that's with the three, three sisters. Yeah. Three sisters sisters uh nick scratch helps her out a lot her yeah. aunties help her ambrose helps her a lot yeah so um, i think he's the first one that we see helping her 
do a spell mm. and he's using his expertise so she comes to him and I think that's really lovely um, because again it's a coven it's a it's a collective rather yeah. than just a single powerful slayer and we all have to aspire to be that one woman yeah we can be anyone in the coven we can yeah. and um, a figure like Prudence for example I think she's wonderful. I love her. She's the leader of the Weird Sisters. So she's already got her own little tiny coven within the broader coven. Mm. She's sassy. She's sexy. You know, she's intelligent. So she's a really wonderful character, I think. Um, and she has a different kind of, like, she's she's still, um, you know, she's all the things that Sabrina is, and she had, but she has a different kind of power, it's, yeah. which is more kind of an embodied power. She's very aware of her body and her kind of sexual power, and she exploits that. Um, in quite a different way than Sabrina uses her, I think, her mind more kind of um, obviously, but that's fine. She's not um, judged for doing that. It's just a different kind of way of, of approaching power. Mm. Um, and she, again, you know, it's it's quite politically, I think, complicated and radical in its own way um, to show a woman just being like that and not having any shame or guilt or angst about it. Um, and just being a powerful sexual kind of being in the mm. world. Um, and that Sabrina needs her. Yeah. She doesn't, I mean, they have an antagonistic relationship at certain points. Yeah. And their own kind of private jealousies and problems. And, you know, they don't have a perfect relationship, but they There's need each other. There's an there. Yeah. yeah. They need each other constantly. And, yeah. and you're right, it is a community that she needs, you know, sometimes she needs Hilda and sometimes she needs Elder and sometimes she needs Lilith and sometimes she needs Ambrose, as yeah. you say, or sometimes she needs Alum, you know. Um, <laughs> everybody is useful. Yes, and yeah, exactly. So, and mm. that's what I like. I like that the power is shared amongst mm. more than just one person. Yeah, that's a real, that's a really good point because that's very different from Buffy. And I think I wonder if it's that shift from like a '90s kind of individualistic feminist approach to things mm. to a more 20th century kind of um, 21st century rather. Yeah. Community based. I would definitely approach. say that. Is yeah. Exactly what's happening. Yeah. I mean, we see this a lot. A lot of um. So to go back to the the witch figure used as a, a political figure. Mm. Um. So around Trump's election, there were uh, protests that adopted the um. You know, the the figure of the witch, and there were mass hexings. There were spell castings to try and um, block him and bind him mm. to you know. Make, who knows if that's. You know how well that's worked. Maybe yeah. it would have done a lot more harm. I know, I know. Um, but either <laughs> well, way, we're all alive, so yeah. I feel like that's comforting. Yeah. yeah. So either way, um, this this witch figure is very present, um, but in a collective fashion. It's not just one woman being held up as the savior. Mm. It's a collective power and power in numbers. Mm. Power in your individual self recognizing that you have power to stand up and join with other people mm. in um, resisting oppression from yeah. hierarchical sort of structures. Yeah, you're right. And and all of the, the kind of activities of the coven are all about women as community, um, even when they look back to the kind of historical kind of touchstones for their, um, for witching, for being a witch, um, it, it's always about the group, the 13, the original mm. 13, or, yeah. or, you know, these connections across time with each other. So, yes, I think it is a, quite a communal kind of way of thinking about women's power. You know, ha- how powerful are women when they bound, you know, are bound together? Mm. And really that's how the resolution takes place at the end of season two because mm. women have, have kind of teamed up. Exactly. That, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. It's not just Sabrina overcoming this single-handedly. Yeah. It's very much a team effort. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's lovely. 
Me too. Yeah. <laughs> what a way to end. Yes. Have you got anything else to say about Sabrina that we didn't cover? I, I think, um, no, I, I mean, I, I think it's just, it's really nicely done. As we've mentioned, there are sort of um, elements that slip through the cracks a little mm. bit. Um, it, you know, it could be more intersectional in some ways, but it goes some way towards uh, addressing that. Mm. Um, it's got a, it's got a um, non-binary character. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think one thing we didn't mention was how beautiful the opening credits the opening credits are so beautiful, I never skip them. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful imagery out of the comics and yep. um, the music, it's got their like, ooh, wicked haunted house kind of vibe to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and to take Classic it back to our, Halloween stuff. That's yeah. the thing, isn't it? So that's kind of what we opened with talking about was this um, meshing together of the comics, the lineage of the comics coming through, mm. but also of classic horror cinema. And both mm. of those things, the sound effects are very much horror cinema and mm. so are a lot of the graphics. Um, the graphics also take the comics, and then we finish with that the original um, Sabrina image yeah. um, right at the end of the credits there. Um, so I think they're really beautifully done, and they set a really they set the tone for how we're supposed to read the show. Yeah, I agree. They abs- I mean, if you if you're not sure whether Sabrina is is the show for you, I think you just have to watch the yeah. the credits. And if you're into <laughs> it, you're into the show. Yeah, you know that you, you're going to get, and the show will work. It's just got this beautiful sense of style. Yes, and the colors and the the juxtaposition of the red and the and her hair being so peroxide blonde, um, at least in second season. It's just it's got such a beautiful visual aesthetic. Absolutely. And so distinctive. Yes. That's one thing that I, I love about the show. It's just so rich. Every mm. scene, the lighting, the costuming, the set design, it's just beautiful. Yeah, the costumes really get me too. You know, the her little um jumpers and cardigans and, yeah. and um the way that she's sort of costumed like a 60s teenager but at the same time with a modern sensibility absolutely and, you know the tight dresses with zelda and um and lilith and in hilda's kind of more domestic affect yeah. and the way they just that they get the character so beautifully through costume and i love watching costume and fashion mm. um and they just brilliantly convey everything you need to know through what they wear yeah i love it anyway thank you for this kirsten my pleasure thank you for having me this has been so much fun go watch sabrina it is good yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be back for its third season soon. I think they're filming it at the moment. Yeah, we're, we're staying tuned on social media for an announcement. In fact, that's the next thing the fans on social media are haranguing <laughs> the Twitter account for when season three going to be dropped, yeah. when are we going to get news? So I don't think it'll stage. be in time for Halloween, though, unfortunately. No. We might get a Halloween special or something, because they did drop the Christmas special, remember? Yeah. Mm. But we'll see. We'll see. Watch this space. Yes. Thank you so much, Kirsten. This has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. So this has been another episode of From the Lighthouse. If you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you have a moment, that would be fantastic. Um, Join the coven. (laughs) (laughs) You can also look us up on fromthelighthouse.org and drop us a line there if you've got any suggestions for future episodes or questions or comments. That would be fantastic. And we'll see you again in two weeks. Thank you. Bye.